0: Hello and welcome to episode two hundred and eight of the Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane here in Denver, Colorado, and with me on the line is the one and only Godfather, Dave Arbarger. Shane. David. You love weather. <laughs> it's it's cold here, Dave. How is it in Chicago? It's seven here right now. It's cold. It's gonna be like one tomorrow. Oh, well, we're getting the warmth back because, you know, it's sort of, you're always like a day behind or, yeah. So the, uh, my car barely started today. I don't, I don't, I keep my, my normal car and then my Miata in the garage and then my car lives out front and man, I was kind of hoping it wouldn't start. Then I have an excuse to work from home, but I had to go into work.
1: I have to go into work tomorrow when it's going to be one degree, one degrees. <sighs>
0: Well, uh, Sky, Darth Jason. Surprise is also here. Secretly also here from Providence, Rhode Island. How are things in Providence, my friend? It was beautiful
2: today. We went for a nice like hour and a half walk. It was 51. What? We're living the dream out here. Apparently we got swapped with, you know, Florida because it's just beautiful this week.
0: 50 in Rhode Island?
2: Yeah, it's wild. You know, global warming does some funky things. Yeah, messes things up. True or false, it's 50 every day in Rhode
1: Island. Doesn't matter (laughs) <laughs> what day of the year it is it's always 51 is that true
2: not quite it's not the california 60 but uh it definitely it does get cold we had our fair share of like 32s right around uh the new year but
0: now it's been surprisingly warm on and off i didn't realize it was so balmy up there but as you might have figured out we do have a guest this week it's sky aka darth jason uh, a pioneer stalwart writer on Playing Pioneer. Where where else do you make content, Sky?
2: Mostly on YouTube and Twitch as well as you can catch me in my own personal Discord where I shout out a lot of things and answer questions. But for the most part, just YouTube, Twitch, and on Playing Pioneer. Awesome.
0: And we are glad to have you here to provide some of your own pioneer perspective to temper our mostly modern, uh, meanderings.
1: Yeah. And also, so we stop going, this card isn't strong enough for modern. So it's probably fine for pioneer. (laughs) Do you think people do that a lot when they're reading cards from spoilers? They always go, well, it's just not quite powerful enough. So it's probably good in this less powerful format.
2: Oh, absolutely. I can't tell you the number of times that I'll get that in a stream during spoiler season where it's just, you know, this card's got to be good. Right. And I'm like, well, why? And they're like instant silence. Right, because <laughs> it seems good.
1: It seems better than normal. Um, I think it's cool,
2: and it's doesn't. It's not going to go in modern anywhere. So they print so many cool cards that just never see constructed play, and that's half the fun of limited. But unfortunately, there's a there's a real barrier to entry to be constructed
0: playable. Yeah, and we will talk about that this week because on this week's show, we're going to be looking at the remaining cards from Phyrexia All Be One. Talking to Sky about any cards from last week that uh, you think might have some serious potential there, Sky, and then going over some very likely loose lists of the cards that we like most from the set for both Modern and Pioneer. But first, we have a little bit of housekeeping. We have a new patron in, I don't know if it's Jylac or Yylac, but thanks jay for joining the patreon we appreciate you we have no new reviews this week if you want to tell us what you think about us head on over to apple podcasts leave us a rating and review there if you want to join the patreon go to patreon.com slash the dive down and you know, a buck a week gets you into the definitively discreet dive down discord going up from there, gets some swag headed your way at five bucks a week. For example, you get some deck boxes, you get access to the episode about a day earlier. So going up from there, gets you things like a play mat and so on. So if you want to help keep us going, go on over to patreon.com slash the dive down and if you'd like to support us without having to give a little bit of a rake
1: to corporate overlords at Patreon, you can check out the divedown.com slash store, get a piece of apparel, you can get a hat, you can get a sweatshirt. I heard the sweatshirts, the sweatshirts are popular in the Patreon. Suddenly, have you noticed people talking about them in the discord? It's seven degrees. Not in Rhode Island. It's not sky. See, I'm waiting um, for the crop top. Then I'm in. Don't tempt me with a good time. We're going to have a Rhino Boys crop top. It's coming coming at you. So you can get a Rhino Boys shirt. You can get yourself a uh, hat or the hoodies, as I said. A number of people have commented lately and said, these things are very comfortable. That's a direct quote from someone. Uh, check it out, though. com slash store
0: uh Mana Traders of course if you use code the dive down 10 you get 10% off your first two months of Mana Traders online card rental service without it we would not be able to do this podcast and of course our friends at Barrister and Man we have a new code the dive down 2023 gets you 15% off your first order there and of course the one without a kickback NerdRage Rage Gaming our friends over at NerdRage, Rage they just give our listeners 8% off their order of paper cards with the code dive eight and there is the end of the housekeeping we did it fast record time record time we've got cards to go through so many cards
1: we have cards that we should have talked about earlier and we haven't talked about as well and so we're gonna go through well, what they whoa whoa, 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 whoa,
0: whoa. why is there why is there a should of? i mean we got to them we're getting to them now in theory they're not out yet yeah
1: people people weren't basing their pre-orders on us Oh, you know that we're big in the hashtag MTG Finance community. People use our our assessments as spec all the time. Do not use our assessments as financial advice, please. Um, I
0: would use Sky's assessments as financial picks for Pioneer. Because we all know that the Pioneer cards... They really moved the needle on the, the finance. Yeah. So, you know, we went
1: through in mana value order. It still kills me to say mana value instead of C M C, but I'm trying so we went through a mana value order last week. This week to make sure that we are going through all the cards that we should to clean up the rest of the spoiler episode. We're gonna go through in Woberg. Good old Woberg. And so for starting with white, that only means one thing,
0: Shane. Yeah. Uh hmm Mother of Machines. Four and a white for a legendary Phyrexian Praetor. She has Vigilance. She has a 4-7 body. And if a permanent ETB, that would be ETB, causes a triggered ability of a permanent you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. So you got yourself a Panharmonicon, And you got yourself a Torpor Orb. Permanents entering the battlefield don't cause abilities of permanents your opponent's control to trigger. Yeah, it's, it's, it's these two cards on a body, a big body with Vigilance. Five mana is reasonable-ish. Yeah, I mean, this is another card that everybody's super stoked about
1: for EDH, of course, because where everybody loves a Panharmonicon, it's even better to have one stapled to your commander, I'm assuming, but I don't know much about it, but...
0: (laughs) 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 There's 100 cards, Dave, that's how it works. Yeah,
1: I mean, this card is cool, but does it go anywhere in Pioneer or Modern? The only thing I can think of is that you would maybe try this at the top of your curve, in a soul herder list
2: because, I don't know, you want to flex and have everything trigger even more? Yeah, I mean, it. it's just too expensive for me. I mean, I love everything about it from the perspective of four sevens huge. Vigilance is great, but it's just so killable. It has no protections, and it even awkwardly in some formats causes problems like with Crocs of Titan of Death's Hunger. All of a sudden, you just have a 2-mana 6-6. Six six. Yeah. Like, oops.
0: Perfect. I mean... It's interesting that it's it's rare that maybe not so rare because the removal in Pioneer is definitely different than the removal in Modern, and I feel like very little besides like Terminate in Modern kills this.
2: The secret sauce is is one of the best decks in the format being Rakdos midrange just gets to play Dreadbore, which is pseudo Terminate. Yeah, and you have a, a smattering of any number of Go for the Throat, Heartless Act, Infernal Grasp, all hit it, and then. Like I said, we have Hushbringer and Pioneer, which is a two-mana Torpor Orb, and that doesn't see any play. So it's tough to to have a five-mana Torpor Orb really stop what your opponent's doing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No play? I was playing out of auras sometimes in the sideboard occasionally. It did see sideboard auras play. That is the one place. But unfortunately, uh, since Lurrus got banned, auras took a bit of a hit. We've seen green-white a little bit, but even yeah. so, it's, it's fleeting.
1: I have my fingers crossed for that because of my boy Skrelv. But uh, we'll we'll see about that in the future. But yeah, I, I I agree, and I think Shane, you forget that one of the most played cards in modern is Leyline Binding, which has no problems with oh, this card yeah. as well. Ooh. So you know, I, unplayable. I, this, this is nothing. Let's let's move on to another giant white card, the Eternal Wanderer, four generic white white Legendary Planeswalker. I'm gonna read all of this. No more than one creature can attack the Eternal Wanderer each combat. Plus one. Exile up to one target artifact or creature. Return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of that player's end step. Zero. Create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with double strike and minus four for each player. Choose a creature that player controls. Each player sacrifices all creatures they control, not chosen this way. Loyalty five. This card kind of seems like a house to me, honestly. I mean, it's expensive. Like, a 6-mana Planeswalker is not something we see all the time, but it blinks a card. If you have some ETBs, you can make that work, or you can get a blocker out of the way if you want to do that. The token is really good. This is maybe one of the best tokens I've ever seen off of a 0 ability. Um, You know, it's up there, certainly, with, like, Garrick making a 3-3. This is a 2-2 double strike that's pretty impressive. And then, finally, it Cataclysms, essentially kind of, for creatures.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about the plus one too is like I kind of just read it as like a flicker wisp, but what's cool about it is it's that player's next end step. So you can get a pretty good amount of time of holding your opponent back, where you're like, hey, I'm going to blink something on your side of the board. You're not going to get it till the end of your next turn. So they don't get to block with it. They don't get to attack with it. They don't get any kind of value out of it. So that's a pretty cool like little extra line of text there or a little extra word there. Yeah, I mean, I I think this card's very powerful. It's one of the more objectively
2: powerful cards we got in this set. I think there's been mono-white mid-range decks in Pioneer that use Yorian Charming Prince to sort of keep the Blink Train going. And so you get a lot of value out of that plus one. Even if it's delayed, getting a Yorian, whenever you get a bonus, Yorian is always good. But my biggest issue is that it's almost always going to be a control card. And the minus four kind of... It looks really good, but if you each get one creature, pass the turn and they untap, kill your creature, bounce your creature, then you get to, they kill your six mana Planeswalker. It's a little bit awkward. So I think it's very objectively powerful, but I'm worried a little bit where it would actually end up. Yeah.
1: I mean, you you had written in the notes, Sky, that Elspeth's son's champion doesn't seem play, which is a good card too, you know, and I actually funny enough, this card came up earlier this week because someone on our discord asked us to post our favorite five plus drops. And mine was Elspeth's son's champion. Um, I do think this card is maybe a little better than that one. Cause the token, the token is so good, but of course Elspeth makes three tokens, right? Yeah. If, if I remember right for a plus. So I don't know. It's a huge army in a can. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool card though I th- I think that the secret thing that makes this card potentially be able to be workable is that no more than one creature can attack it each combat because not yeah. only does it make a really powerful token it also constrains the amount of the ways that your opponent can try to kill it with creatures and I, I think that that is interesting for sure um, but yeah. Maybe maybe not for either one, or maybe this is the kind of card that's like a one of in your sideboard when you're a mono white mid range deck, as you mentioned. Maybe be, be seeing some play that it comes out of the sideboard when you need to go bigger. But I I don't know if it it's not gonna be a four of anywhere
2: for sure. Yeah, I mean I think the the most interesting situation with this is how well it pairs with the Wandering Emperor. Because if Mm -hmm. you only attack it with one creature, all of a sudden you're putting yourself in a position where you can just time walk them with any removal, any bounce or something like the Wandering Emperor to just eat their creature. So I could see it, like you said, as like filling that old Elspeth Sun's Champion in the sideboard plan. But even then, I, I think it's really close, whether it's this or Elspeth. And Elspeth is just so capable of ending the game by itself. Whereas this kind of the token's really good, but it does need a little help, I think, to cross the finish line. Yeah, it makes sense. I
0: mean, it's just, six mana is just a lot, no matter how you slice it. All right, Phyrexian Vindicator, four white. Well, WWW, white mana four times. It's a 5-5 five, five flying Phyrexian horror. And if damage would be dealt to Phyrexian Vindicator, prevent that damage. When damage is prevented this way, it deals that much damage to any other target. So this looks appealing, right? It feels like it has to do something where it's like, boros reckoner type things but like you know it still dies to removal and the casting cost is rough at white 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 and like white decks don't have a lot of direct damage but like i guess you're making them not want to attack into you i don't really know what i'm doing with this besides saying seems cool so i i think this is just another one of those very powerful cards
2: what gives me a little bit of pause is that the best mono white aggro deck in the format really cares about creature types being human. So you can't really just throw it into the mono white aggro deck that already exists. And then when you're looking at that Reckoner combo, if you want to get infinite life, you need to both give it indestructible and lifelink, which Reckoner got to do because of is it charm or not is it charm boros charm and then is it charm to deal itself damage, which were both red and Reckoner had red as a splash. Whereas, like you said, mono white, tough to get direct damage. Where I think this is interesting, potentially, is a lot of control decks are playing things like Baneslayer Angel, Lyra Dawnbringer, just as ways to pivot post-board, have a big lifelinker against aggro decks. This does a really good job of shutting down aggro at four mana. It doesn't quite have the first strike lifelink benefits of the, the big angels, but if you were playing the laydown arms version of blue-white control, which has been seeing a lot of play and maximizes its planes, you could probably slip this in as a post-board pivot where you're going 5-5 five, five into 5-5 five, five into 5-5, five, five. good luck killing the aggro deck. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: in, when you put it in that context, it's funny that this card is one mana cheaper than Lyra or Baneslayer or any of that kind of thing. So they not only do they make it have this weird prevent damage clause, they also made it have this uh, reduced cost as long as you have enough planes. And so, um, yeah, I think that is interesting too. It's just a, a little cheaper 5-5 five, five flyer, doesn't have vigilance, but we got along fine when I was coming up with Sarah Angel that that didn't have lifelink or first strike or any of that other stuff, you know? So maybe there's a way to make it work here too.
0: I just wish that mono white could still run walking ballista because then I just have like a, a really funny way to like, I don't have to target you. I just target my Phyrexian Vindicator and it's even a, like a cheekier win. It's not necessary at all. I just want to do it
1: the entire reason Ballisto is banned, Shane, for, to yeah, keep people like you, card. take your joy away. All right, next card we have in white. The last card that we have in white to talk about right now is Skrelv, my buddy Skrelv, that we've talked about a whole lot. My favorite name in Phyrexia. All right, Skrelv's Hive. <laughs> One generic... And a white for an enchantment that says at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life and create a one one colorless Phyrexian at might artifact creature token with toxic one and also has this creature can't block. And then it has corrupted as long as your opponent has three or more poison counters creature you control with toxic have lifelink. So this is bitter blossom. Yeah, kinda
0: might blossom.
1: Isn't this as close as they've made to Bitter Blossom since original Bitter Blossom? I feel like it. I can't remember another card that was 2CMC that just made a token.
2: There was the one that had from War of the Spark that kept amassing. And then eventually, if it was 6-6 six, six or oh, bigger, yeah. it gave life lifelink. But it didn't make multiple bodies. It just kept making one body and stacking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But no, this has got to be the closest since they printed it that I can think of.
1: Now, these tokens are a lot worse. They don't fly. But on the other hand, they're artifacts, which is cool. I mean, for me, I'm not really looking at this from the toxic perspective at all, though, though I guess that there's probably some plan you can do there where you kill somebody with less damage off of these tokens. But it feels like a constant source of 1-1 artifacts for free could go somewhere. What do you think, Sky?
2: I think the, the best place you could probably consider this, like you said, is leaning into the fact that you're getting a bunch of free cheap artifacts every turn. I think that we've seen a Mardu Sacrifice-style deck before, which uses the Rakdos Sacrifice base of things like Anvil of the Oni Cult and the Cat Oven combo, to then you now just get a bunch of free tokens every turn. makes it a lot easier to set up. If you sacrifice them, you net a damage on them, and once they get Lifelink, it makes it a lot easier to... Keep racing any other aggro decks like you normally would with any of the cat combo cards. Yeah. Does
1: it have Butcher the Horde in it, though? If it's a Mardu sacrifice deck, what do you think? You don't have to answer that question. It's fine.
2: It's fine. (laughs) We can dream, Dave. We can dream. (laughs) Yeah. We can. I was going to say, it's also interesting to see that we got the cycle of the Phyrexian horrors that become indestructible, and the black one cares a lot about sacrificing. And so that is another interesting wrinkle where if this went into a Mardu deck, you could see a couple other cards that came out in this set sort of pairing together to lift it up a little. We've seen Jun Sacrifice do well, so maybe Mardu Sacrifice can keep giving Rakto Sacrifice a little bit more life.
0: Yeah, I don't know about this one. You know, maybe if Toxic is some kind of constructed thing, this is like your toxic army in a can, it's like the card you want to draft, I'm sure, uh, in your your white toxic, you know, limited bomb type thing but yeah i mean maybe it's something it's cool like like you said just an endless source of artifacts to do something with it's gotta do something that people are gonna mess with at least
1: don't you kind of think that so now i'm looking at this for like modern for a quick minute i know that bitter blossom has been historically like it was banned and then it came back yada 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 you know I, I do wonder if there's a deck in modern that wants a bitter blossom for artifacts too like thinking about it a little bit now i don't know i i have one eyeball on this card just because of the fact that it's an artifact token
2: we've seen a, a bunch of the new like eight blasts and six blast decks and one of the constricting points is again you're using bobble and things like that to throw around with your blasts so if they were playing white i've seen a green red version now too if they end up in white you could have this just as another way to always get value and give yourself enough time to find your blasts
0: yeah yeah absolutely i don't know it's so close to something all right but that's why <laughs> so close that's white. right Blue should be a little bit more quick, I think. Um, distorted curiosity, two and a blue sorcery. Corrupted, the spell costs two generic less to cast if an opponent has three or more poison counters, so just a single blue mana. Draw two cards. Does this infect? Do you put this in your sideboard for like grindy games? Like Again, this is pretending infect still really exists. One mana, draw two cards, if you're like doing anything that you already want to be doing. But like the floor is pretty bad, right? Like, I don't know. I am such a sucker for these divinations
1: that become a single mana if you have the right conditions. Like I of one of one mind was one of my favorite cards in Ikoria that never quite got there. This is the same card. It's just for poison counters instead. I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is not at least in Modern, I feel like this is not the card that's gonna bring Blue-Green Infect back from the brink, just because that card, I don't think that deck really wanted to devote any space to drawing cards, right? It's not trying to recover that way. I understand that it could be in the sideboard as a plan to go from there, but I think that I'd be much more interested in the Rot-Priest version of whatever that deck is to give it a shot if we're gonna go that way rather than having a Divination in that style of deck.
2: Yeah, I mean, I imagine the problem with Infect even before was as struggling as the printing of Fury and Ren and Six. It it's just too hard to always keep your things alive. And luckily, you know, in Pioneer, those cards don't exist, so we can maybe look at it through the lens of older Infect, where it was playable. And one of the first things I I brewed up with the set was a toxic deck using blue-green, sort of, you know, salti style. And the interesting thing about this card to me is that it just should always be turned on in like turn three or four giving you a little bit extra fuel but even so if you're trying to rush the game get it over is this really giving you enough velocity to end the game or is it just sort of drawing you into more cards because you've already struggled to close the game out yeah i think it's a great question i do
1: think the thing that's interesting about this in context with toxic instead of infect is that you can't play pump spells in the toxic deck, right? So it's like, what am I going to do? That's not creatures in that deck. So maybe one thing is really efficient card advantage, good access to good counters. You know, we probably won't talk about bring the ending, but that's the, that's the mana leak s card that turns into a hard counter. If they have, uh, if they have corrupted. So. I, I It seems like it could be a reasonable plan
2: to go with. What what did the creature suite look like in that deck? Can I ask?
1: Do you remember off the top of your head?
2: Yeah, so I know we had four rot Priest, four of the 1-1 one, one Death Touch Toxic uh, to pair with Finn, the 1-3 that is from Kaldheim, that whenever right. a creature with Death Touch hits, they get two poison counters. So that's right. three with the Toxic trigger as well. Ooh. Uh, and then we had a, the two-mana 1-1 one, one Flyer with Toxic and the two-mana... 2-1 flyer with toxic that you can buy back from your graveyard when you pro, uh, proliferate for the yeah. so that, that was kind of How, the angle we were looking at is do you go more proliferate or do you play the eight corrupted cards the counter spell and the divination along with spell pierce and, and other protection spells play protect the queen or do you play just efficient things that you can push through easier and and then just once you have a few poison counters proliferate i think the proliferation version is a little too slow if it is going to work i think you have to go all in protect the queen and in that case, the Corrupted Cards are great because then that is actually counter spell and, and one mana draw too. But again, it just comes down to, I think, like you said, not being able to use pump spells and having to get in 10 times with your Toxic 1 cards is the biggest hurdle. It's just hard to hit with 10 small creatures. And because they have Toxic, they're all 1-1s one and 2-1s. So they all fail the Bone Crusher test and they all get blocked by everything in the format right none of them have evasion
1: or few of them have evasion i suppose but people should not forget about that Finn card from kaldheim for sure because i've seen a couple of builds where people are trying to do toxic plus that plus death touch like i, I that card was powerful as a one off or at least eyebrow raising as a as a one off so now that there's a set that came you know just a slim i don't know 2 years later or whatever where that card might have more of a payoff it, it makes some sense to keep an eye on it so But I think clearly these are the two best corrupted cards, Distorted Curiosity and Bring the Ending. So I would just keep that in mind if you start messing around with Toxic to see if you can make these cards pay off.
2: Yeah, I I liken this a lot to Surveil, the Surveil payoff cards we used to have back in uh, the Ravnica sets. The payoffs all look great because you're already doing Surveiling, you're already giving them Poison counters. The problem just became if you have too many of one and not enough of the other, you do nothing. And if you can't get that third poison counter, these cards look way worse. And that's a real real consideration as far as how you can build the decks. Can I
0: offer up a good way to give your opponent poison counters? Ooh, what do you got? It's in our next in our next card, Prologue to Phyresis, one in the blue instant. Each opponent gets a poison counter, draw a card. Okay, does this infect or toxic? Probably not. But this is like two damage draw a card for one in the blue, which isn't like that bad. No, I mean,
2: I I love the way you're looking at it of like the drawable card deal to damage. That was a really interesting way for me. And there's this and another card that at two mana. It's an anticipate that proliferates for two mana. And those two cards to me were the first things I kind of looked at for those non-combat damage ways to give infect. And I think you definitely have to put them in those toxic decks because, like I said, at some point you're going to get shut down on the battlefield. If you don't, you win anyway. But... Having these non-combat ways to give infect or poison counters is is very nice. And I think this is probably the best of them. But I'm not quite sure if you can fit quite enough non-creature spells to have this be more than just a nice burn spell off the top, more or less. For me, the way that I looked at this card, because
1: it, it feels like this is a reasonable card on rate. Like when you read it, you're like, okay, it's an effect and I draw a card. There's not many cards where you get to just do two to draw a card, you know, like Anticipate. Like Anticipate is not as good as Impulse. Now we have Impulse. So, you know, having any effect and tacking a card draw onto it for two is certainly kind of like something you want to pay attention to. When I was looking at this, I was wondering if you're like, is this the only card in your deck that gives somebody a poison counter or one of few, and then you go f- hard into just proliferate and maybe the anticipate goes with it. I mean, the card that I was looking at was from last week when we talked about Ickermoon Gauntlet, where it's like, maybe you're playing planeswalker control. And instead of your kill condition being, Oh, I'm going to attack you with hall of the, um, what, the giants, giants or whatever yeah or maybe it's both you know you fit this in because it's a cantrip and you can go with a proliferate plan or if you get later in the game you can attack people with your land just kill them the old-fashioned way but i don't know for some reason for me i was kind of like maybe this is a way that we could go if we if we put together our plans or our control deck built around proliferate
2: yeah i would love to see what a shell looks like where this is sort of your setup card your enabler and then you just leverage powerful proliferate cards I looked through a lot of the proliferate cards. Some of them are a little bit on the weaker side, but if you could fit in enough cards that weren't just below power level into your control deck, and I think Gauntlet is a really good one at being able to kind of fit that that perfect sweet spot of powerful enough to help your Planeswalkers, but also the bonus proliferation could just kill them. Something like that with a, a turbo proliferate deck and the four mana flying three five... Uh, that if you proliferate, you proliferate twice. The uh, the Phyrexian Horror, uh, that card really could help you turbo somebody out if you went turn two, give you a counter, turn three, play your gauntlet, and then go from there. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting... It certainly was a card that I was
1: like, this is cool, but we'll see if it turns into anything more than limited fodder, of course.
0: I wish it targeted one of your creatures so that it worked with the Rot Priest. I don't know how it would target something but it draws you something a hex-proof. card that targets your Rod Priest, Shane. Yeah, let's do it. That's I love all. it. Sky, why don't you read this next one? I feel like this is this is your card.
2: Sure. So we have Mind Splice Apparatus, which is three in a blue, Artifact, Flash. At the beginning of your upkeep, put an oil counter on Mind Splice Apparatus. Instant Sorceries cards you cast cost one less to cast for each oil counter on Mind Splice Apparatus. So the big thing with this one to me is to quote Brian Gottlieb, Freeze for me. I love cards that reduce cost. You want to look at the history of Wilderness Reclamation in Standard and Pioneer, even in Modern. I've seen it pop up in the past. And then you look at Fires of Invention. This has a little bit more of a restriction. It can't just come down on four and and be free, but you get to play it on your end step on four and then immediately get a counter on it. So to me, it's one of those cards that if you're playing a flash style deck, you just instantly start getting better value. And if you build your deck around instant sorceries, like we said, you play these cards like Prologue to Phoresis. My goodness, that is a a word to pick out. (laughs) That's a tough word. Yeah, if you're playing something like that, you're just drawing cards for one mana, giving, in fact, you can play impulses for one mana, and it continues to scale from there. I think the limitation on instant sorcery is the only thing that could be a little tough. But you also get the benefit of being able to proliferate the oil counters to rush the cost reduction effect. So you can start playing mm, yeah. some very big things very early for much cheaper than you should. In, in Since you're kind of focused on Pioneer, what do
1: you what do you think are the instance and sorceries that you'd be trying to target and Pioneer with this? If you were to cost reduce a big incident or sorcery, where do you think that list starts?
2: I think you always got to just start with the X-Bells. We got two new ones in the Blue Suns Twilight and the White Suns Twilight uh, for blue and white, as well as, you know, depending what colors you play. Historically, you can play green with this. You get the green Twilight, things like Sphinx's Rev, cards that sort of don't see any play because mana doesn't scale that well in Pioneer. If all of a sudden you only need four or five mana to draw six cards because you've just been sitting on this card gaining value, it's a lot more playable. I also think that it's one of those cards that even if we can't put together a shell today, it does end up in that little space in the back of your mind of, huh, that's a 10 mana instant. How cheap can I get that? Right. Mm. And it just, in every set, there's just that, huh, well, that plays well with that. And those are dangerous once you start adding enough pieces. Yeah, here's your
1: giant red mythic that nobody pays attention to. That suddenly you're casting for three.
2: Yeah, or hail, Was it a, just a hail of torment fire? Yes. Just an instant kill with this after a few turns. Or just chaining together treasure cruises. Also good. Hey, we can keep it simple. What's a good ancestral recall on the cheap? Exactly.
1: Why does this card have flash? Do you think? Like, what do you think? It's, That's a good question. It, this card is n- sort of a lot less playable without flash but why is that
2: so a lot of these effects whether it be you know the the two i mentioned wilderness reclamation and fires invention both give you mana the moment you cast them right with fires you play fires you play a four drop for free right that moment with wilderness reclamation you go to your end step you untap you have your full mana to work with these mana cheapening and doubling effects if you have to cast it in your main phase and give your opponent an entire turn cycle to answer it with no value they're just kind of unplayable so you need it to give you that value right now to be able to, one, protect it, and two, if you flash it on your opponent's end step, you get to
0: untap, and now you get a free mana and all your mana available. Yeah, like it could read, like it enters with an oil counter, but with because it's in blue, it lets you play a controlling style game, right? Where it's just like, I can hold up mana, and maybe it's like some kind of multi-flash deck where maybe it has some flash creatures or you have this and then you untapping it like you said take advantage of it immediately so i think it's it's cool to have it in you know the color of blue and then give it flash as well because then it lets you play the reactive game and then also kind of turn the corner and then get a good mana advantage ramp going yeah like you said i think without flash
2: this card is is borderline unplayable but flash keeps it in that place of I get my value right away. I'm interested.
1: Yeah. And then since we've talked about proliferate a lot and we haven't really gone back to it, but we're about to leave the area of the set that maybe has the most proliferate in it. There was another set in pioneer that had proliferate as a mechanic that maybe not too many people are remembering. And that is war of the spark actually had a bunch of cards that had proliferate on them, including two flyers that when they deal combat damage to a player or planeswalker you get to proliferate one of them costs two mana it's called grateful apparition it's a one one flyer for a generic and a white that does that i mean that's basically thrumming bird right we actually got thrumming bird in this set too Correct. Yeah, we got Throwing Bird too. And then you have this one called Guild Pact Informant that is a 1-1 that does the the exact same thing, uh, but it costs an extra generic mana because it is a fairy rogue and it's a blue card. And then we have Throwing Bird as well. So if you wanted to do some creature-based flying proliferate stuff, you, f- you probably could load up pretty heavy on those if you wanted to. There's even a card in War of the Spark called Contentious Plan that I forgot about that the text is just a single generic and blue proliferate draw
2: a card. That's all it is. That's a weird one. Yeah, it's it fits perfectly in that you've now upgraded to give them a poison counter, but if you want to proliferate, you have that option already built in. There's uh, yep. also two more creatures from that set. One is a 2-2 two, two for two and a blue that whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you can proliferate. And the other one's a 3-2 two for two and a green that when landfall proliferate. Hmm. And then you have karn's bastion which is a colorless rare land that also can be four tap and proliferate so these are a lot of sneaky options depending on how you want to build these decks with proliferate there's a lot more tools than you'd expect coming into a set that seemed like it was the first one but like you said where the spark gave a lot of sneaky tools yeah it's funny these cards are i think better than many of the proliferate cards
1: that are in this set and so, yeah, it's good to remember for Pioneer. You know, I Flux Channeler in particular. That's the the two two that does when you do it with a non creature spell. That can be pretty cool, especially for some of these oil cards later on. If there's something that give you a token when you put when you cast a non creature spell, so it's sort of doubling down on those payoffs. You know, we're just brainstorming here. We're just talking here, but
0: we're just talking. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hesitant to just lump all of these limited, seemingly limited mechanics into kind of like the unplayable and constructed bucket because we kind of did that when it came to connive. And then we, of course, saw Ledger Shredder come out of it. And I don't know if that's the case here, but I think it's potentially a little bit dismissive, and this is on my part, to just be like, yeah, proliferate's never going to be a thing. These oil counters aren't going to be a thing. We're not going to really get to a place where you know counters like this matter in constructed but especially you know in you know not to go back to this in the smaller format of pioneer this might be a thing where we have a enough density from from war of the spark from this set uh with creative deck building to to get to a place where hey maybe counters and proliferate and infect and toxic you know are a thing yeah i totally agree i think. That is a big part of the deck building
2: challenges that people tend to miss when they look at these sets, is they get so used to evaluating a card in a vacuum that you miss the idea that sometimes it's the critical mass of cards that pushes an archetype into reality. Not so much that one card is broken, like Ledger Shredder is the best connive card by a mile, but maybe it's the critical mass of if every card in your deck proliferates, that's a pretty good start. Now what are you proliferating? Yeah, that's up. We'll figure that out. The
1: rule of eight, right? It's a place to start. All right, let's move on to black and let's talk about cards that aren't as complicated. We have our flashy cost reduced, reducted, reduced removal spell for the set. I know Shane, you kind of like this card. So why why don't
0: you read this? All right, Annihilating Glare, a single black sorcery. As an additional cost to cast a spell, pay four generic mana or sacrifice an artifact or creature. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. So I know people are hyped on this for pauper, it's a common, but I think this seems pretty strong in general. Like I'm sure there's, you know, existing effects in pioneer, like, you know, eaten alive. I know in modern we have bone shards and it's not like bone shards is like, you know, shaking up the meta, but those don't let you sacrifice Another random janky artifact you have lying around, or get value off of something like a chromatic star entering your graveyard, or other artifacts entering your graveyard. We know there's a lot of things like that. And I think this has potential. I mean, it's not an instant, but it's dirt cheap creature planeswalker. Yeah, I think we've seen Spark Harvest in Pioneer.
2: It's seen very limited play in sacrifice decks. And this is, like you said, an upgrade because sacrificing artifact. we have a ton of artifacts kicking around blood tokens, treasure tokens, uh, anything with Oni called Anvil. So I think in that specific archetype, it's a strict upgrade, but I don't know if it's enough of an upgrade to to really warrant any additional play of the card as opposed to if you were going to play a Spark Harvest and eat alive, something like that, now you just have a better one. The thing I like about
1: bone shards compared to this one is that at least in modern if you're constrained on resources or you really have to kill something on turn one you can discard a card to do it
0: yeah and usually instead. you're playing it in like a you know reanimation type deck you know when those were trying to be a thing
1: sure yeah you i know, mean that, you know, I, I hadn't quite persist. seen that play but that does make sense yeah it goes goes with persist and and that kind of thing um sometimes it's just though like i really want to kill ren in six and i'm on the draw and this is my card to do it, you know, because later on I could have done it with persists or something, but um, I don't know. I, I think this card is kind of worse than than that one too. The artifact thing is nice. It's sort of like Skrelves Lair in the same way where I'm like, it's cool that it talks about artifacts, but I'm not sure exactly if we're if it's gonna get there still. But
0: yeah, I think it seems he's like really occasional play and like very defined archetypes it's not something that people are like playing for value because they have you know something that makes a blood token or something like that right it's very very much built around the concept of having you know extra creatures or extra artifacts lying around although i gotta say
1: since you mentioned that blood tokens in particular i'm not an expert at playing rakdos mid-range by a long shot but i will say there's been a number of games with that deck where i've been like this blood token is just doing nothing for me <laughs> Yeah, and, or or even the card that makes the Blood Token isn't doing anything for me right now. It makes me wonder a little bit. Th- that does make me wonder a little bit if it might be a, a reasonable card to have around to get some extra Dread Bores in your deck. But Dread Bore is so fine in Pioneer that maybe you just don't even have to worry about it. Yeah, that, yeah. why take the downside, you know?
2: Yeah, Yeah. one mana to get rid of the downside is enough of a benefit, I think, where Dread Bore would just see play, and we've already seen Dread Bore go from four copies to two. So it's yeah. not like, it doesn't seem like they're hurting for more copies of this effect.
1: I, by the way, if you had told me in 2013, I guess that we would still be talking about Dreadbore in 2023, <laughs> I, and it had like never been reprinted
2: again, I would have been, uh, I would have said you were a liar. See, that set and that cycle had some real bangers long-term. You had Supreme Verdict, you had Abrupt Decay, Dreadbore. Yeah. That set put a lot of, and Right Shaman was in that set, a lot of, a lot of cards that, had a huge impact for less than everyone expected when they came out. Yeah, that's a great set.
1: All right. Archfiend of the Dross. Two generic black black for a Phyrexian Demon. Flying. Archfiend of the Dross enters the battlefield before oil counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove an oil counter from Archfiend of the Dross. Then, if it has no oil counters on it, you lose the game. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, its controller loses two life. It is a six. Six. So they love cards like this. We've seen many, many demons over the years that are flying six sixes for four that make you lose the game for a downside. Mm-hmm. Here's this one. You have three turns
2: to kill them, basically. Yeah. But we've been talking a lot about proliferate. Yeah, give me some more tokens. You more b- counters, rather. You buy more time. This is just an abyss. A six six flyer is nothing to mess around with. If I told you, you have three turns, it's sketchy. If I tell you you have ten turns. And I think that's that is just a big card. yeah. I mean I think that's the the big good news of this card is that I think if you can fit proliferate with this card, it has potential. The less good news is that it costs two black, black. <laughs> and we have a four five mythic that costs two black black that I put in my article about the top ten cards of Pioneer for this set. Shieldred has just made all four drop black cards irrelevant because this is not better than shieldred and you can't overload on fours unfortunately
1: what if i told you that i continue that reading your notes in here sky for which you wrote down i completely forgot that shieldger was a four cmc card i constantly my brain think it's a five mana card even after knowing that that's why it's so good it's still i still can't get
2: over the fact that it's four at four mana it's it's incredible at five mana, i think it would even see some amount of play but yeah it is every once in a while you get that card that just invalidates one slot on the curve (laughs) and to me shield is the latest example of that we're like there have been so many cards and there might even be one coming up soon that is a, a four-drop that sits there, and I'm like, man, I wish I could play this. And I just look at Shield and I'm like, you know what? I'm good. Well, let's talk about it. That next card is the a classic that we've we've had, you know, we had
1: a Frexian Negator, and then later we had Frexian Obliterator, and now Frexian Obliterator is back. I think the flavor text used to say behold perfection or something. This card, I hate this card. I hated negator. I hate obliterator. Not into it, but we all know it. It's a it's Black, 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 black for a 5 5 trample for Xane Horror. Whenever a source deals damage to Obliterator, that source's controller sacrifices that many permanents. Ugh, this card. It does exist in historic, right? Yes, right that's what so I people started hitting recent, it.
0: Recent experience playing against it in that format. I don't know how you beat it sometimes. I mean, I know I played mostly like aggressive decks. So, like, it's just like, hey, uh, I'm trying to beat you down and now I can't. Like you just, you played this card and I'm going to lose. Yeah.
2: I mean, to me, this is one of those cards that just absolutely brick walls. Every aggro deck is the bane of their existence and does nothing against anybody else. <laughs> and that's just such an odd place to be. I mean, that sounds like a great sideboard card, but I have to imagine if you started seeing Obliterator and sideboards, you'd start running things like Destroy Evil and other just Destroy effects as opposed to Damage effects. But again, how many decks, we have a mono black midrange deck in Pioneer that Top 8 of a challenge this last weekend. Is it going to play a, a black, 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 black spell over Shieldred? Uh, I would doubt it. But <laughs> yeah. it's crazy to me that, you know, probably the most iconic quad pip card of all time isn't going to see play because it's just outclassed. Yeah. I mean, Obliterator
1: and Liliana the Veil vale are hanging out somewhere together, just crying on each other's shoulders, I suppose, because... That's another thing I couldn't believe. We can talk about that some other time, but I still I still can't believe that card can't make it in, in Rakdos mid-range in Pioneer either, but it basically doesn't.
2: Yeah, it's just the nostalgia bar. They're hanging out saying, you know, once I was great, and now they're just looking up at Shieldred and uh, Graveyard Trespasser and wondering what happened. You know, that's pretty much this podcast. Me, <laughs> me being like, once I was great.
0: <laughs> Shane, you can't cut this next card. Okay, fine. You... This card is, I think this card is good. Okay, I I just, behind the scenes, peeling back the curtain, I just struck through the next card, Shieldred's Edict, because I didn't think it was good enough. It's one of the black instant where you choose one of three modes. Each opponent sacrifices a non-token creature. Each opponent sacrifices a creature token. Each opponent sacrifices a Planeswalker. So we have a, you know, it's a versatile instant speed edict, and it has flexibility, but is it
1: good enough? So, here's what I think it's good. I actually think this is pretty good for modern. I don't know about Pioneer. When I think about it, I, and maybe I'm just totally off it here, but I think that the three different modes are so useful for something like Death Shadow to have access to potentially because you do have a hard time killing resolve Planeswalkers. You do have a hard time with something like Culture Complete before you can get Death Shadow online because it can attack through all your guys. You can't kill it, really. And then sacrificing a non-token creature is just, you know, maybe that's good, maybe that's not good, but it depends on on what situation you're in. But I do think it's such a precise tool that I think there are some black decks that would want to have access to this card to help them with problematic permanence. And it's the creature token thing and the Planeswalker thing that really make me wonder if, this is usable out of the board. I like the idea of it.
2: It it has so many, like you said, it has a unique functionality, which is always really nice when you have like a similar effect in edicts, they all sort of do the same thing, but now you can play this one that does almost the same thing, but a little bit of a wrinkle in it. I think it's interesting. I think the biggest problem is just going to be how often is it that you're facing down two of a type of a card you need to answer. And anytime that happens, these effects are going to be very tough. So I think it's, Got that usability, like you said. Hitting an early Planeswalker is great. Hitting a specific threat is really great. I just don't know if it adds up to a full card's worth of worth just because two mana sacrifice, a permanent, is always a little scary if they're able to manipulate the situation and play around it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair. I I've, Part of the reason I l- like this a little more for Modern than Pioneer, though, is just because of the like massive... You know, like mana is so constrained... In modern, where it's just kind of like, you can have these really precise tools in that format that sometimes like you, you won't get to turn five in modern, right? So the chances of you having two of a single permanent type that is not useful to you, once you bring it out of the board, at least anyway, I think is a lot worse in pioneer than it is in
2: modern, just because the games don't go as long. And so there's less time to build up that kind of a board. But that's fair. My my first thought on it is just like looking at something like Merktide where they might just have a DRC and you're trying to hit their Merktide. Yeah. And things like that get a little awkward. But if you're sure. able to to customize the situation and, and deal with those other threats, it can really be effective. Dave, hey, what is this one you've added since I've looked at the notes? So I added
1: a different cost reducing removal spell. Rebel okay. Salvo. Rebel Salvo deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. That permanent loses indestructible until end of turn. Maybe just have cauldra Complete on the mind, but this is a card that I was looking at as something that you could play out of Hammer in potentially a new ish kind of red, white, red, white, blue Hammer build that kills cauldra Complete and also has reasonable utility against other cards, and also gets Planeswalkers, which you don't have a ton of ways to kill in that deck.
2: But thoughts? So my first thought kind of aligns with yours, were like Hammer or Red White Stoneforge style decks, or we had the Fervent Champion equipment style decks all benefit from this. I think the, the general game plan of this card was that it hits, I believe, all of the Phyrexians that gain Indestructible so that's sort of like the way to clear those off once they've used the activated abilities. And it has some other nice hits. Like you said, Cauldre a big one. Old school style It used to be another good one, things like that. But I think those tile decks will get a lot of value out of it. I'm kind of looking at it as like, without the affinity for equipment, how good is it? And three mana deal five, we've seen it C play before. But if we can always get that to two mana deal five, I'm a lot more interested yeah i think for modern this has to be one
1: mana or two i mean it certainly has to be two you really really want it to be one and you always have a chance out of hammer in particular that you're going to have a hammer plus something to be able to do you have a hammer plus a nettle cyst you have hammer plus your shadow spear um you know like you mentioned or kind of I think you were hinting towards it's harder in Pioneer because there's no stone, there's no tutors, there's no equipment tutors. in And, you know, we have the best one ever in Modern. So I, I think that the applications are a little bit different there. But maybe if there becomes a really deep equipment deck with some of the other enablers
2: that there are coming online for this set, maybe it becomes a little more interesting in Pioneer too. Yeah, I think the neatest part about it on top of all the extra text is that it can hit Planeswalkers as well. So being able to clear out Problematic Planeswalkers is always an effect I want. And if I can kill your blocker or kill your Planeswalker, I'm a lot more interested in it as an option. Yeah. I mean,
1: remember, so Magmatic Sinkhole used to be a card in modern, right? Like, used to be a good card you could run as a one or two of if you were a deck that didn't leverage Delve in another way. And this is a similar card with a similar, with the exact same text on it, except for the indestructible thing. So I don't know. Maybe there's space for it to come back. All right. Next card on here is another red card that I liked, which is Furnace Punisher, two generic and a red for a Phyrexian Warrior. It's a 3-3 with Menace, and it says, at the beginning of each player's upkeep, Furnace Punisher deals two damage to that player unless they control two or more basic lands. I just feel like this is a decent other option on Rampaging for Asadon. Like, I know it doesn't have quite as much text on it as Ferocidon has, but also being able to punish decks that just are really greedy on basic lands is always attractive to me. Um, But it's not always the most amazing thing in the world, especially when you have Ferocidon in the format as
2: well. Yeah, to me, this this sits as a nice sideboard option. Frostedon used to see plenty of play as a sideboard option when life gain decks were a problem. The biggest thing is just that we have a bunch of monocolored decks because of the presence of Nykthos and just making your mana clean in Pioneer. Mono White Humans, Mono Blue Spirits, Mono Black Midrange, Mono Green Devotion, and more. Make it so that you're almost never getting the trigger off this. But right. against a lot of the rest of the format, I think it'd be a good sideboard card where a 3-3 Menace is already good stats. And if you're getting pings every few turns it just adds up very quickly especially in multiples yeah i mean out of like
1: ractos phoenix lotus you know there is a good portion of the field that skimps on basics but there are really powerful decks especially right now between monogreen devotion and humans
0: yeah i don't know if this adds up to enough damage for the cost for me but i think it's like you know maybe as a as a sideboard option in, in very certain red decks why not Man, Dave, you want you ham on these red cards. All will be one, three red, red enchantment. Whenever you put one or more counters on a permanent or a player, all will be one deals that much damage to target opponent, creature an opponent controls, or planeswalker an opponent controls. Yeah,
1: so this card is weird when you read it, but
0: the reason that I put it on
1: the list is just there are three different infinite combos with this card in modern right now. That just, if you get this into play with one of these other permanents, uh, you just kill your opponent. So one of them is quest for pure flame. One is talent of talent of pain. And the other one is war elemental. They're all things that when you do damage to an opponent, they get a counter on them, which means if you have them in play with all you will be one, then that counter going on quest for pure flame, for example, will then trigger all will be one, which will then trigger quest for pure flame. And they'll go back and forth and kill your opponent immediately. So I I don't think there's like a real must do with this but this is going to be something that your friends that are really into brewing or certain content people that are really into brewing like evert are going to try to figure out how to do some fun with uh so keep an eye out for that but um
2: yeah just an interesting card that it it makes these infinite loops yeah i mean i think my my word for word comment looking through this was i can't wait to see what spike brews with this but i'm not sure we have the tools in pioneer
1: I'm not sure we have the tools in modern. Like, how are you going to search up talent of pain to go with your all will be one that you ramp into? I'm sure there's something, but we'll see. (laughs) All right, let's go on to green.
0: All right, green. Canker Bloom. One in the green for a Phyrexian Fungus. Three, two, pay one generic mana, sacrifice it, choose one, you destroy target artifact, destroy target enchantment, or proliferates. So this is likely, this is a pretty simple one. It's likely better than Outland Liberator in Yawgmoth sideboards because proliferating can be really awesome in that deck like i'm not like a Yogg player but i don't think you're winning a lot like flipping your liberator but i think you are getting a good number of games where proliferate buys you a lot of value and that's that that's my summary of this card there's probably more i mean it's like a thrashing brontanon type thing it's a you know it's outland liberator type thing but uh it, it does a lot for a little i think yeah, I mean, we've seen cards like this in you know, in white, we had Cathar
2: Commando that started seeing a little bit of play in various formats. And this is just one of those staple effects. I think they want to get in a couple different colors of a three power creature for two mana that just has a bunch of relevant abilities and naturalize and proliferate. Both great. I think this is a, a shoe in to see play somewhere. It's a great sideboard option, but... Like you said, it's kind of is what it is. It's sort of a nice piece to pick up, but not going to change too much anywhere. Any thoughts, Dave? It's a card. It's green.
1: I
0: don't have anything to say about it. Dave, I'm going to make you read this next one. I'm not reading this Planeswalker. You you read this Planeswalker. (laughs) Okay, fine. Uh, Nissa, Ascended Animist 3, Green Green, and then Split Green Phyrexian, Green Phyrexian, two of those. So it's a
1: seven mana, seven loyalty.
0: Walker. I mean, but yeah. it's you know, seven mana with seven loyalty, and of course, if you pay for the green with life, meaning two or four life, it enters with two fewer loyalty counters for each Phyrexian you paid. What does that get you? So you can uh, plus it to make an XX green Phyrexian Horror Creature Token, where X is Nissa's loyalty. So it would be as little as a 4-4 if you, if you paid the 4 life. You can minus 1 to uh, naturalize, destroy target artifact or enchantment, and then minus 7. And until, until end of turn, creatures you control get plus 1, plus 1 for each forest you control and gain trample, so an overrun type thing, right? So this is flexible in how you pay for it. But like, I'm not sure how this like plays. If you're like, hey, I'm gonna pay five mana and four life to get a three loyalty walker, uh, you know. But they they do make legitimate threats. If you have anything else to block with in your green deck, you're gonna quickly make a really wide and pretty tall board. Like you know, if she's on the board for two or three turns, you're gonna be unstoppable. But that's most five plus mana walkers, I would say. And the ultimates, of course, like it's a it's a GG if like you've been able to do anything. But I just don't know what what her home is. Besides, like uh, I I drafted this and I'm I win. Yeah, I mean to me this this is reminiscent of Renin
2: Seven. We're paying five mana for a, a big big that keeps getting bigger and bigger each turn. You're making bigger ones and it does some neat stuff, but it doesn't really have much of a place. The only Real sad thing about it to me is that though you can pay five, you can't find it off Storm the Festival because it actually has a, a mana value of seven. But if you could find it off Storm, it'd be incredible because the four pips, even if you pay the Phyrexian, is a lot for Nykthos. So if you're paying five mana for life and you net four mana back for it, that's definitely interesting. But I don't know if green needs another odd, odd planeswalker to just throw it over the top again.
1: I think the weirdest thing about this card to me is just in the design that there's nothing that does anything with mana on this, on this Nissa, right? Like it feels like this would be the moment flavor wise to be like, yeah. And it does, I don't know, add one to your mana pool for every forest you have in play or something weird and broken like that. But it's weird. Like the effects feel kind of small to me for what, for
0: how much you have to pay to do it we got a lot of army and a can planeswalkers in this set. Like, I think there's like three that are just kind of like, Hey, like I'm just going to make some creatures and you can do stuff with them. And that's more than usual. I know there's more walkers than usual, but it's still just kind of like they weren't, they weren't super creative with what these walkers were doing necessarily. I think they were very worried about the design space since
2: all the non Phyrexian planeswalkers were rare and all the Phyrexian ones were mythic to just the variability of these cards is so high that it's very hard to create a a Nissa that's, fair effective and not game breaking that you can play on five mana and seven mana and i think that's where a lot of their lack of creativity had to come is is that's a really wide berth as far as like how it can get into play and because of that you have to kind of keep the effects simple otherwise you end up with a five mana four life planeswalker that's broken when really it was designed to be a seven mana planeswalker
1: Wild. I, I. One thing that's that is also interesting is that these planeswalkers are the only things
2: that have Phyrexian
1: mana cost in their casting cost,
2: right? Yeah, I believe this is it for this set. I think this I is think, actually it in all of Pioneer.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, they have. There's a- activated abilities that have it, and then there's like you know, um, Tamiyo and the other. The other ones. But it's interesting that they brought Phyrexian mana back and just use it for this. So I feel like it's really flavorful. I'm kind of glad they didn't break Pioneer by having, you know, some rough equivalent of Gataxian probe or whatever in this set. So I'm I'm glad that they kind of played it conservative with Phyrexian mana. Just a little editorial note here as we get towards
2: the end of our list. Yeah. I mean, to me, I'm really happy. I think Phyrexian mana was pretty high up on the storm scale for me. I would have been happy to never see it again, but I think they greatly learned their lesson to just tag it onto things that cost a lot and just go from there as opposed to ever doing a one or two drop with it again.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, Shane, we do have to have a reckoning <laughs> yeah. from last week, don't we? Yes. Mig-Law's,
0: Why Laws. Maze Crusher, back. he's back. He's back. It's back. I mean, I don't know, Meg One red-green for a 4-4 legendary Phyrexian beast. He... It's ETBs with five oil counters on it. You can pay. You can pay one mana, any color. Remove an oil counter from Megalos. It gains vigilance and menace until end of turn. Two. Remove two oil counters from Megalos. It gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Three. Remove three oil counters from Megalos. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. I mean, you didn't want to talk about this last week, but I'm gonna make you because I think this has decent stats and decent abilities for the mana value in pioneer and you get a lot of flexibility where it's like vigilance and menace is cool. Having being a six, six is cool. Destroying an artifact or enchantment is cool. Like, man, they really do not want artifacts or enchantments in the set. Do they? There's a lot of things that are naturalizing, but I mean, I just like that. You can use the oil counters whenever, I don't know. It's a mana sink. I don't hate it. I mean,
1: I, I don't know where this goes. It does remind me a lot of savage knuckle blade. Which is kind of like a card that nobody ever has enough mana to actually does use not the activated require abilities though. on.
0: Importantly does
1: not require blue. Yeah, but come on, we're post we're post mana base. We don't care. I mean in pioneer kind of we're not really No, Pioneer there's still trades that you have to make. I don't know. I mean this is just like a thing and maybe it's a really good uh value. I don't know if it fits into your kind of like red green, you know, so your red green deck of the day is the boats deck. I don't know if it has a space in your kind of that particular Essex chariot, you know, kind of curve that you're trying to do there. I mean, do you think that this is can be played as, as just a value card sky or what do you think?
2: They've played a 2-mana 3-3 three, three value card before in a similar slot where it's just like overrate and green and red. So you play it and it has some value. I think this is similar because it can crew Chariot, it can crew Sky Sovereign. It does have some neat effects. So I think if it was going to have a home, it'd be vehicles as like a 1-of or maybe a 2-of to try and just like get a 4-4 four, four on 3-mana. is just great. But you already have Love struck Beast, which is a better 3-mana play.
0: Yeah, Love struck
2: Beast is absurd. Yeah, I think... You know, I I hate to say it. I think this is kind of, we have Savage Knuckleblade at home. I I think (laughs) running out of oil counters with this card is going to be the saddest thing you've ever seen. And
0: at least with Knuckleblade, you could just keep pumping it. Yeah, you're right. This is, it's probably just like, you know, like you said, it's sort of like a a bucket and it quickly empties and you just have a bucket.
1: Yeah. Although I will say Frank Karsten did post a turn four non-combat kill with this deck, with this card this morning that was pretty interesting. Shane, I don't know if you saw it, but it mm. involves the land that has two oil counters on it. So it takes a hand of the land that has two oil counters on it, two of those, two Copperline Gorges, a Filigree Silex, a Miglaws, and the Sulfim was Sulfim, the red one, Mayhem Dominus. And so what you do with that is you play your... You play your Frexian oil card. Then you drop a copper gorge, I guess. Then you play your Filigree Silex. You play Miglaws, so then you have six oil counters across two permanents. So, sorry, you have eight across two permanents at that point. And then you play Sulfim, and you'll have ten counters across two permanents with the Sulfim in play. You can tap your Filigree Silix to do 20 damage to somebody. <laughs> Love it. All new are all and all will be one cards. Can't wait to have that sealed pool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look look for that at an LGS coming to you. All right, so those are our cards. Not too many bangers on this, this round, I feel like. I feel like these were all cards that I was excited to read, and then we got into talking about it, and I was like,
2: yeah, I don't know about these. I actually, the more I've been looking at the set and prep for this episode, the more I kind of came to the conclusion that I feel like this set has some synergistically powerful cards. Yeah. But it's missing the, like, objectively powerful cards. The ones like the Okos, the Uros, the Omnas, where you kind of look at them and you go, oh, that's going somewhere. Like, power level, that's just good enough. These cards are all, like, interesting. And they fill roles. Nothing that really jumps out and just says, like, I need to buy four of this card tomorrow. And it's going in every deck.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Because it's like, I think there's a... you know we're going into our top list next and i think there's some cool cards there but they're all like things that you're going to build try to build around or maybe upgrade existing strategies or like they have a shot in certain existing archetypes that like maybe they make it better but we have to test to find out there's like one card that i think i'm really curious in that we'll get to later that I think like you could make an entire new deck around or part of like an entirely new deck, but we'll see about that. Here's my suggestion. I would love to hear,
1: since we talked about this a lot last week, yeah. Shane, I would love to hear skies list top five, top, whatever, number of cards from the set that you're thinking about. And then I'd just love to, like, let's just talk a little bit about pioneer and then maybe Shane and I can kind of fill in with whatever doesn't get picked up from our own personal list of bad cards that we're interested in.
2: Sure. Sounds good to me. Uh I did cheat a little on top five. Yeah, and top one. All we all do. The,
1: we all yeah. do. Yeah. I threw
2: all the fast lands in together. I, I feel like this, every set that we get really awesome lands, it's sort of just like we can, can put them off in the corner we all know they're good we all know they're going they'll go in decks but they don't need to take up too much time but this is really important for pioneer right yeah we we saw how good a deck like a tarka red was as soon as carplusion forest got printed and angels got a big upgrade with brushland we're still at that part of pioneers development where mana is generally good but in two color aggressive decks it's actively worse than everything else and this kind of sews this up. This is like the last thing we were missing. We have now the, you know, all of our check lands, all of our shock lands, all of our fast lands, and all of our pain lands. So you should be able to build a cohesive two-mana aggressive mana base.
1: Yeah, and even the slow lands from the last trip through Innistrad are pretty, pretty good, too, at filling in that kind of make sure you have good mana through your entire game as well. The, you know, the mirror image of the Fastlands here. So it does feel like huge bump up for Pioneers. Is there is there any deck that you think benefits from this the most? Or do you think it's just aggro decks are going to be using these and that's it? Do you think there's anything that was limiting, so, really being limited here?
2: I think the biggest thing is, is two or three color aggro decks, ones that want to be playing one, two, and three drops. You almost couldn't play those before. Uh I think back to the times of like in standards, there have been Marty Vehicles, that was you know an all in aggro deck, these kind of decks just weren't playable without something like Blackleaf Cliffs. But really, where you're going to see the benefit is going to be in things like a Tarka Red, any green red deck gets a huge boost because of just how good Copperline Gorge is in these early aggressive decks. Dark Slick Shores is the one that's probably going to have the least impact for most of the time because you it know, always is. Blue Black doesn't want to play one and two drops, it's sad, but yeah. it is yeah. what it is. Uh, The green-white Thicket, Razor Verge Thicket, also going to be very good. It enables a lot of decks that, like green-white auras that we talked about, like green-white, basically green-white or Naya anything, picked up huge benefit because that was a big place you were missing, especially because if you want to play eight mana dorks, you have to max out on your green sources on turn one, and not having a green-white fast land really hurt those decks. Yeah, that's awesome. My dark horse here
1: is that, I wonder a little bit if people are going to go harder into Azorius spirits now that they have Sea uh, Chrome Coast, Crom- coast uh,
2: available to them, but we will see. I actually think it's a different Azorius deck that's going to pick up more from that, and that's going to be Soldiers, Ooh. which we've been seeing yeah. do really well in Standard, and it even saw a little bit of success, a couple of Prelim three ones and four O's here and there. I think that's another one of those decks that desperately needed a turn one untapped land that could be both blue or white.
1: Another one, right? Cause they have the one from brothers war. That's blue, white.
2: There's that's only for soldiers.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. So this one can help you fill
2: in everything else. Cool. All right. What's next on your mind? So next up for me, uh, do you want to go five to one or one to five? Whatever, whatever you want to do. We'll build you some like, tension. You like
1: suspense? Yeah. yeah.
2: Cool. All right. So for me, number five was Jace, the perfected mind to me. This was an interesting card. Uh, Not sure if your readers or your listeners are familiar with it. Do you want me to read it as well?
0: I will
1: read it real quick here. I have the text in front of me. Uh, It's two generic, a blue and a Phyrexian for a five loyalty planeswalker, plus one until your next turn up to one target gets minus three, minus. Oh, so it bubbles. Somebody minus two is target player mills three cards then if a graveyard has 20 or more cards in it you draw three cards otherwise draw a card and then minus x is target player mills three times x
2: cards so there's a couple different generally just powerful effects here stapled together the kind of seem like they might not go together but the bubble effect is great at slowing down opponents which is you know standard blue stuff your jace just wants to buy you more time but the real key to me is the minus the self mill you can target yourself which helps you maintain a bigger graveyard. There's a couple decks that really like that. Specifically, we've seen a Thassa's Oracle Demir deck that's sort of inverterless inverter, using things like Dark Bargain, Treasure Cruise, Deadly Dispute to just churn through your deck before you win. And I think that the self-mill being attached to a Visions of the Beyond is a very powerful effect on your planeswalker. Just being able to repeatedly draw a card, maybe get a couple extra cards, and the self-mill really helps you out with your treasure cruises. And the mill 15, it's one of those things where, again, self-mill 15 for four mana is worth a lot when you're playing stuff like Dreddless Dredge, when you're playing anything that cares about filling your graveyard. And these Thassa's Oracle decks now can just have another bargain that can kill 15 cards at a time.
1: That's interesting. We did not talk about this at all last week in the context of milling yourself. Yeah. Which we should always remember that sometimes putting... Cards in your graveyard can be good.
0: Can be and, good. Um,
1: yeah, especially if you like set yourself up to be able to then visions of beyond yourself because you've filled up your graveyard, stocked it really well, and then you're also like, oh yeah, now I'm going to
2: draw three cards as well. Boy, yeah, there's there's be interesting gonna, to see. There's going to be some strong turns where you like play this Jace for th- for three mana, minus it, get your visions of beyond, and then get rid of your graveyard with a treasure cruise, and you're just looking at your opponent with your fresh grip. Yeah, (laughs) that's rough. Does this Phoenix?
1: This isn't Phoenix, right? you got to be doing more than that.
2: Yeah, I think it has to be a little bit more than that. I think Phoenix already has a very easy time filling up the graveyard, and it doesn't really need to bubble creatures because you just kill them. So I I think this is a little bit more niche, like we were saying. The the effects are always a little bit more synergistic in this set, so I think you have to be a little bit more reliant on self-mill to get value, but... It's a very powerful effect when you're trying to self-mill. Cool. Well, thanks for that alternate take on a card that we talked about last week for sure. What's next on your list? So next we did talk about is Mind Splice Apparatus. Like I said, this is a bit of a speculation pick just on the basis of how good we've seen Wilder's Suckermation and Fires of Invention be. And it always is going to sit there as even if it's not broken right now, there's always the possibility that we get some big instant or sorcery or some flash threat that suddenly makes this a viable cost reducer. And that's always incredibly powerful. So next up, I have Sword of Forge and Frontier, almost finishing out that sword cycle.
0: I can't, I really find it surprising. They were just like, yeah, well, let's, we'll just throw one here. Let's sprinkle the sword in, not both. Well, I think, and this was also,
2: uh, I meant to mention this a second ago when you were talking about there being a ton of naturalized effects. The next set is March of the Machines. So, I think they're trying to overload the naturalized effects into this set so that the limited environment, if it's heavily artifact based next set, doesn't end up being overwhelming. And so, I think we're going to get the blueback sword in March of Machines. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, also,
0: funny, last week I was like, the blueback sword, the Demir sword is going to be proliferate completely, forgetting that the Azorius sword already was because it was so bad, no one paid attention to it. <laughs> yep. The Hidden Swords. All right, so what do you think about this sword? So this is,
1: so just so people remember, lets you play an extra land and lets you do kind of like reckless, or kind of like um, kind of light up the stage, basically, so you get to look at two cards
2: and play them. Yeah, and the extra land per turn, even if you hit two spells, you can at least get a land out of your hand, which is nice. But to me, I think one of the things that happens a lot when we're evaluating cards sort of in the vacuum, especially when, you know, like we all sort of play Modern as well as Pioneer, Is you just sometimes forget how good a sword is because we don't really see other than the top two or three swords played but a sword in general just on any generic creature is powerful and i think green and red in pioneer does a lot more than people give it credit for being able to make all of your creatures pass the bone crusher test for free is a big deal just getting extra resources extra lands extra spells is really big and being able to clear through green creatures also is very good because it allows you to push through a lot of the, the bigger blockers in the format. So I think it's a card that if we do see an artifact in uh, equipment style deck pop up, it's going to be in there for sure. But I also think it's just a generically powerful card that should be able to give some decks a little bit more leg, uh, a little bit more room against Bonecrusher Giant. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see a deck that just plays a couple of these out of the board
1: you know, like just because it's a good card, like mono white humans, it's like, oh, I'm just going to have this. So when I play against green decks, I'm just going to bring it in because it's good. Or if I randomly go up against mono red aggro, I'm just going to play it because it's good. Like that would be pretty interesting to see. We've never quite seen a sword. Do have that pattern? Because we're all so used to it
2: being played with Stoneforge Mystic. Yeah. I mean, I I think a deck like mono blue spirits or band spirits could really get away with doing something like that, where you just go, well, people are going to board in rending volley against me. So how about I just give my creature pro red. It's now huge for a flyer. And right. now I get to just draw into extra spells and keep up more mana. Yep. Totally makes sense.
0: Yeah. I like the sword. Don't undersell the sword. I like the sword's good. I think it's like a tier two sword. And I mean, in, in pioneer, it's what the only sword we've got, right? Yeah. It's, it's the one and only it's the best sword we have.
2: In fact. All right. What's next on your list? So next is one that's pretty much purely for modern, at least so far as I've seen, and that's Mycosynth Gardens. I think you talked about it last week, but Amulet, probably in love with this card. It does a lot to be able to give you excess Amulets as well as force a lot of removal spells earlier and more often. I think that anytime you can have an effect like this that just gives you an opportunity to, like you said, rule of eight something... Amulet is one of the few cards we don't have a rule of eight for in a powerful combo S deck, so now you can sort of do that in your deck, and since it's a land, it's easy to tutor up in your Titan deck.
1: Yep, and we're just, we're rule of 12-ing it, really, since we have uh, Urza's Saga as well available for us, so we can can get them lots of different ways now. Uh, Yeah, I am preparing myself mentally for a little resurgence in Titan once this set comes out, especially on Magic Online, where I think people are just going to be trying to trying to make it work, seeing if it works,
2: testing it a lot that first those first couple of weeks. Yeah, it's the same thing we saw when Saga got printed. You'd see a ton of food decks, a lot of interesting decks, and then four Saga Titan decks because, you know, if you get a good land, you might as well throw it in the land deck. <laughs> Makes sense. Magic is easy
0: sometimes. And what's number one? What's the, What's your most excited card?
2: So when I talked about cards being not particularly overtly powerful, this to me is kind of like the only exception. That's Tyvar Jubilant Brawler. Yes. So for me, Tyvar, it is begging to break something. It's a three mana Planeswalker, which we already have tons of examples of being the most pushed point you can realistically get in Pioneer as well as in Standard. It already helps pay for itself because your mana dorks can be untapped with its plus one. If you play mana dorks after you play Tyvar, they can tap immediately. And then we just have tons of really good activated abilities even before we get to the last ability. Things like Fiend Artisan, things like Priest of the Forgotten Gods. Like these cards that just break in half when you start to get to do them multiple times a turn. How about Vanifar? We were I was talking about this with some friends. The combo is already in Pioneer, now you just get to have it be a little bit easier to execute. So, yeah. I think it's one of those cards that again, really powerful. And then when you get to the minus, where you're just reanimating things, we were talking about Deathrite Shaman. You want to talk about a card that doesn't see any play anywhere, Tyvar allows it to come in and be instant, instantly able to activate. If you're playing something in a self-mill shell, you have lands in there, so you can have it be a mana dork or just shoot fireball people or gain life. Like There's so many ways that Tyvar does powerful things, and that's even before you get to like the elves deck. Mm-hmm. Right. Where it seems like it should just go no-brainer, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, even if, you know, when you're in Modern, you have even higher power level of elves. But even in Pioneer, we have Circle of Druid Dreams, which taps to make mana for each creature you control. Well, now you get to tap it immediately, or you get to tap it twice. And you want to talk about having a lot of mana. That's That thing gets out of control fast.
0: I mean, I, I like Tyvar as well. Like, I, I'm really hyped about it. And I think one of the things that, people complained about during the heliod ballista combo days of pioneer was that essentially at any time you could just win you know is if you had the ability to get an extra counter on ballista and you know after turn four and stuff like that like you just had to be live in fear of ballista heliod combo and tyvar does something similar you know in the somewhat fragile or you know really fragile right now you know, the old devoted druid combo type strategies in modern and with tyvar on the battlefield if it sticks around at all and it's on the battlefield you're just like crap like i can't tap out I am just living in fear of a devoted druid hitting the battlefield. Or even if I do remove it and I don't remove Tyvar, they just get it back out of the graveyard and they're doing it again the next turn. And, that's just a, puts a lot of fear into people and creates so much false tempo. To quote Jerry Thompson, uh, in in your gameplay, that you can do a lot while they're avoiding your combo, and you're just kind of getting value in other ways. And I think Tyvar is just a, a really rad card. I think it, it's a real winner, and I really like the overall design because, like you said, it's not three mana absurd. It's three mana build around me.
2: Yeah, I think. Tyvar to me is head
0: and shoulders above everything else in the set.
2: I think it's got so many combos in Modern and Pioneer that are both clean instant win combos as well as just value combos. And I can't stress enough how good a card like Teferi, Hero of Dominaria is because you get mana back. Tyvar gets to do the same thing where you just untap your dork that you use to cast it. Turn one, play a dork. Turn two, play Tyvar, untap it, play another dork. And you're off to the races.
1: Yeah, yeah. The more I look at this card, the more I think that it's pro- the best card in the set. I think that it, you know, it's at the top of my list as well. It's not the card that necessarily I'm, I'm personally the most excited to play. Unless it makes Vanifar good, then get at me. All right, Shane, do you have anything you wanted to bring up from sure. that we haven't just talked about now, or what? What else? What couple of things are you
0: on your list? Well, Venerated Rod Priest. I think is is sure. just it's probably my it's the card I'm most interested in seeing what it does and it's not just because like hey I'm like some you know old school infect main I think it's just like it's an interesting card with some really fragile combos and it gives some new options back to those traditional infect strategies with like the infect reach I think people are going to brew up some interesting ideas that can kill really quickly Really quickly, without any you know disruption, but I think also provide like some grindiness and just some interesting concepts that will make people be like, "Hey, what can I do with this to finish my opponent off quickly?" So I think that's pretty fun. Uh, I like Nahiri the Unforgiving. You know, we talked a lot about this card last week. Oh, I was going to say just before we move on to Nahiri, I know. Do
2: we have any Chain of Smog type effects? For Rot Priest, sort of the you cast this card you can just keep targeting things over and over again and just instant kill them. I mean, the biggest one is Ground Rift. That's the one that people play with in modern and with
1: Niv Magus elemental and stuff like that. That's probably the closest. It's a single mana storm
2: that targets to give something can't block this turn. Yeah, said so that If yeah. you can get something like that going with Rot Priest, it's it's, you know, like when we got Witherbloom Apprentice for legacy that that all of a sudden I think brings it to a new level, but I like that card a lot just as is. But if you can find that card, if that card exists and somewhere someone's played EDH for enough years, they know what that card is <laughs> that could break something. Yeah. Yeah. I like that card just on value
1: to like, just on the offshoot that maybe, maybe that brings in fact back as a interesting tier two archetype in modern maybe or maybe even tier 1.5 depending on how how the deck gets built
0: nahiri the unforgiving i was you know just getting into that i think dave you also are into this card we talked a lot about this last week i think everything we said there still stands for me the fact that the recursion ability even though it's uh, for a single turn is just a zero uh, planeswalker loyalty ability that's just wild like i don't think she's busted but i think there's some fun and cool applications and she can generate a lot of value and much like tyvar just cuz you took care of one stone forge mistake doesn't mean you're going to get rid of the next one and and you get that back out of the graveyard so i think there's some cool things to do with nahiri that people will do i don't know if it's going to like prove itself as a as a mainstay in any format but you know i like the i like the design yep no that's on my list too
2: I, I like this card a lot. Somebody pointed out to me that the plus one is actually a form of protection yeah. that I'd missed the first time because it forces you to attack them, You're, it attacks yourself instead of the planeswalker. Yeah, there's a lot of text on this card <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I missed that the first time, and that's definitely a little bit more interesting for me. I I understand exactly why they chose less than loyalty instead of less than or equal to.
1: I know. It's like a fury had and the,
2: solitude spec uh, immediately. Oh, yeah. Even in Pioneer, the big one is Grease Fang. Oh, yeah. You can't can't recur Grease Fang on turn three, which is the problem. If you could, it'd be much better, but you have to pay four mana to do it, which we already have Soren and Can't Stay Away that are cheaper.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then last card I want to talk about, I was kind of hinting at this earlier, and Dave, you convinced me. Capricious Hellraiser. Okay. Yeah, you're taking it in a very different direction from what I was thinking about, but I think it makes yeah, like, sense. This is the card I think that people could bank new deck ideas around, and and the, and this is primarily in Pioneer, and it's not because the power level of Pioneer; it's the increased power level that Treasure Cruise brings you. Okay, so like and Dig Through Time in this deck. Like these aren't decks I really want to play, but like I'm dreaming of something like where like you're filling the graveyard. It's some kind of control strategy, and then you can you can cast Capricious Hellraiser. There's other cards that you might. Uh, what are some of the? I know there's some cards that can get stuff back out of the graveyard. in is it? I believe, and like and so you cast this card with the ETB trigger on the stack. You dig through time, delve away spells you don't want getting back something bonkers you've left in the graveyard, like omniscience or like, you know, something else that's like big and broken and let's go. Or just dig through time again. Just dig through time. Perhaps like, I think that there's that's, you know, of course this is like, it seems like it's living the dream, but this is the kind of stuff that I think a, is it control deck could set up fairly straightforwardly. I think this is a really powerful card. I, I always gravitated when I looked at it
2: with things like Ox of Agonis just mm-hmm. things like Bedlam Reveler 2 that just want to like super turbo churn through your deck. And I think that it could be really good. And like, there's an Is It Prowess style deck that uses uh third path I- Iconoclast already that's sort of just like all young pyromancers and cheap spells. And all of a sudden, this fills the, the Bedlam Reveler of old spot where you're yeah. just like big dragon free spell. Yep. Good enough. But if you build around it, you can really break some stuff. I like the omniscience idea. Yeah, there's
0: a couple of ways to do it, right? Like you could kind of like, you can go huge and overpowering. You can go like low to the ground and this is like your top end. I think there. this is a, a cool card that does something novel, so. Yeah, totally agree. And I like Jace. I like Annihilating I, Glare. We mentioned that earlier. I like the Allied Fastlands, but Dave, what do you got for me? I only have a few
1: cards that you haven't mentioned. So I have... On my top list, I actually have Shieldrix Edict and Rebel Salvo in like a removal bucket. Those are the, the cards that I think are the most interesting as far as removal goes. But the only card that you had you two haven't mentioned that I am pretty appealed to buy is Kemba to try to get some Pioneer Hammer going. And I've seen some lists floating around already. I think it's looking all right. Cat cat hammer could be a thing.
2: You just want to see a cat Let's with a hammer. It. Meow squad? we saw hammer every once in a while with i believe it's monk class that would help Mm -hmm. you uh either find the equipment or equip it for free as well as i think cigar aid is actually just in pioneer yes it is yeah yes so the tools are there like we said before when we were talking about the problem with swords we're a stoneforge mystic away from that deck being good but if we have a way to find the hammer, I think there's probably some legs there.
1: I'm looking right now. I think it's warrior class. Is that the one? Yes, warrior class.
2: Maybe? Because, yeah, Yeah. I think monk
1: class might be... It's fighter class. When fighter class enters the, the battlefield, search your library for an equipment card, reveal it, put it in your hand, shuffle it, and then level two is equip abilities cost you two less to activate. So there might be something with that, but having it as a tutor is a pretty good thing as well. Yeah, I just think that there's enough pieces there. And actually, I still think that the embalm and internalized cats are like pretty good as something that you can outvalue people with. And so I don't know. I think there's something there. And then maybe we get to play Rebel Salvo and Pioneer and you're off to the races. But other than that, I do think that Tyvar is probably my number one card from the set. Now, I do have a question for you all before we go. Just for fun. Yes. Do you all know what the f- the most expensive couple cards in this set are already? Accord I'm looking at Card Kingdom pre order prices right well, now. The, just the for Commander fun, cards. I mean, right. So the two main ones are Mondrak Glory Dominus at sixty dollars yep. and Elish Norn Mother of Machines at
0: forty seven ninety nine. What do you think is next? <sighs> wow. Okay. And this is like one that you think is for like a constructed. Pr- I mean, a sixty card constructed price, not a hundred card constructed price. I think it's
2: probably
1: a 100-card <laughs> constructed price. All right, let me change this question yeah. a little bit. Find
2: one, you think. What do you think the most expensive rare in the set is? Because, Ooh. Ooh, yeah, I was going to just go down the list of the Dominuses, but that, that eliminates it. Free order prices is... 12, 13, 14, 14 mythics lead
1: the leaderboard from Card Kingdom. So it's one of the first times I can remember basically every mythic being worth, worth more than any of the rares, but there is one rare that's at the top of the heap. Okay, well, I just, I just sorted by
2: rarity. Oh, you know what I bet it is? Just quickly glancing, encroaching microsynth. It's a great, great pull, and it's not a card that we talked about.
0: It is oh, not that oh, card. These are, it's still a mythic. I was like, the proliferate twice has to be a EDH, but that's a, that's a mythic. Okay, I don't know. Ooh, what about Conduit of Worlds? Oh, that's that's, that's a good card, too. It is
1: Venerated Rot Priest.
0: Oh, wow, people are really interesting.
1: $12.99. I didn't think you would be that high on it. I didn't think so either, but surprise. And then the next most expensive rare, of course, after a few more mythics, there is Mycosynth Gardens at $8.99. Oh, yeah, I'm so glad that's rare. By the way, Tyvar, in case you're thinking about trying to pre order it from Card Kingdom. One of the only cards that's sold out at six bucks. Yep. Uh, <laughs> oh.
2: See, I was betting five.
1: Yep. Yeah. I'm surprised it's that low given how much hype I think it's getting, but it is already out of stock. It's one of I- the only cards that's already marked out of stock. that makes me think that they know that it is going to be moving around.
0: I love some of the arts. He just loves punching. Just loves to punch. He just wants to punch. Why?
1: Well, <laughs> it's so funny. He's just out here <laughs> killing
0: Tybalt. <laughs> Good for him. Someone had to do it. Sky, it's been awesome having you on. Uh, give us a little, little, you know, self promotion. Where can people find you in the internet? What kind of things you're doing? How can they support you and your work? Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me, guys. If you want to see more of me or read more of me,
2: generally I got lucky. Darth Jason is not a particularly popular name. Everyone was fighting over when it came to usernames. So you can find me on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, uh, all of those places at Darth Jason. And I write plenty of Pioneer-specific guides, articles, and think pieces over on Playing Pioneer, usually putting out a handful of those every month. So those are the main places. And then I also have a personal Patreon that I'm looking to revamp in the new year. As with everybody else, my New Year's resolutions of getting everything in order has slowly slipped into February, but better late than never. It's a never-ending challenge, keeping that Patreon tight, you know?
0: (laughs) It is for sure, but that wraps up this week's show, and that wraps up our spoiler episodes for Vorexia All Will Be One, so if you have not yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts, as I mentioned earlier, feel free to leave us a rating or a review over there. If you'd like to submit a question to us, reach out. You can tweet at us at The Dive Down, all one word, email Down at gmail.com. If you want to support us directly, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Dive Down or check out our store, thedivedown.com slash store. Of course, uh, be sure to check out Darth Jason's Patreon and his work at playing Pioneer. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. You can sign up with them using promo code thedivedown10, all one word, for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And you can get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using code thedivedown2023 for 15% off your first order. Save money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order. Thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music for four plus years. And until next week, get out there and jubilantly brawl!